Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold, and I've got a wonderful show scheduled for you today. I'm so glad that David Mathis has joined me in studio today. I've enjoyed my series called New Friend, Same Seven Questions, and he agreed to do it. And he is raring and ready to go. And the way David will answer these questions, I need all the time necessary in this segment to make sure we cover all of them. So David is a writer, an amazing gifted writer, author, pastor, and he's got um, great insights, so you're going to enjoy this. Uh, so, David, welcome back to the show. Bill, thank you, brother. So yeah, good to be back here with be you. Good. This has gotten to be a very uh, popular little segment I do, so I'm looking forward to hearing your response. So, it's called New Friends, Same Seven Questions. So let's get started. Question number one, David Mathis, is man separated from God? Yes. And let me put that in the context of the story of the world. The Hmm. first humans, Adam and Eve, sinned. And so they separated themselves from the God who made them and all of their offspring, of which all of us are in the one human race, are therefore separated by God because of the sin of our first parents, of Adam and Eve. It's like we're born on the wrong side of the tracks. Hmm. You couldn't decide which state you would be born in, which side of the river, which side of the tracks. You were born on the side separated from God because of that decision that was made thousands of years ago by our first parents. So the whole human race is born there and separated from him. Apart from Jesus Christ, and we'll say more about him in a minute. Good. Apart from Jesus, humans are separated from God in this life and finally so in the next. I'm sure we'll say more about that in a minute. However, Those who are joined to Jesus by faith are reconciled to the living God, the one who made them, the one who gave his law and spoke, the one who was dishonored and disobeyed by Adam and Eve and every human that have lived since. We are reconciled to him in this life through Jesus Christ, and then finally so, ultimately so, unalterably so in the life to come. Mm -hmm. So when... When somebody says, well, I'm not a Christian, but I'm not separated from God. I'm, I'm a spiritual guy. Well, I believe that you think what you're saying, uh, but how do you know what God thinks? <laughs> you, you, <laughs> I love that. If you're going to be, uh, if you're going to decide on whether you're separated from someone or not, mm-hmm. not only is your own opinion important, but the opinion of the other person. Well said, David Mathis. What do you think God thinks yeah, that's... about whether you are separated from him or not? Yeah, very critical. Thank you for that. All right, question number two, what is the fate of the lost? And, and what are we saved from? The fate of the lost is eternal separation from God. That separation in this life is in fixed and final for all eternity in the unspeakable misery of eternal conscious punishment under the wrath of God. And that will be without compromise, and it will be without excess. It will be perfectly exacted 
in the full and perfect justice of God mediated through his son, Jesus Christ. So what we are saved from then is from the wrath of God. We could talk in several different ways about what we're saved from, saved from hell, saved from sin, our own, but saved from wrath is the way that Romans 5, 9 says it. Since we have been justified by Jesus' blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Thank you for that answer. Let's move on. Uh, what is the point a person is saved and how? Bill, I love this question. Uh, I do too. <laughs> That's why I've asked it eight times already. <laughs> because uh, you can answer it in so many different ways. Many of them are wrong mm-hmm. and multiple ones are true. And cool. you can try to put them all together. So let me put a few together. Um, on the one hand, before the foundation of the world, God chose that he would save a people. Mm-hmm. And so even before he created, he had in his mind he was going to save a people for his son. Hebrews 1 talks about that he appointed Jesus Christ the heir of all things. He made the world, he made all of history to give it as a gift to his son, which is a good fit for Advent as we think about yeah. gifts and the coming of Jesus. So there's a, a role there for God the Father in choosing before the foundation of the world to save a people. Then in history, 2,000 years ago, when God himself came in the person of his son at the cross, there is an achievement by the Son of God. So, Father's choice, Son's achievement at the cross. He shed his own blood to cover the sins of those who would have faith in him. So, the Son's accomplishment, there's a, a decisive saving work that happens in history at Golgotha 2,000 years ago. And then, it gets applied and comes into our own lives. So now there's a role for the Spirit. It's kind of Trinitarian here. The Father's choice, the Son's achievement, the Spirit's application. So this is in our own lives expressed through faith that the Holy Spirit goes to work on us, takes out what we call a heart of stone, puts in a heart of flesh, begins to work on us in regeneration, or sometimes Christians talk about new birth, you know, being born again. That born-again heart expresses itself in faith, and faith is that first conscious experience of our being saved. So very important for us to talk about, not just what God decided uh, before the foundation of the world, what Christ accomplished 2,000 years ago, but our own now being brought into that, participating in it and experiencing it by faith, the applying of Christ's work to us. So when you said there, what does someone have to do to be saved? That's the to-do. Mm. believe in Jesus Christ Mm -hmm. and you will be saved. So faith is a kind of to-do. It is an act of the soul. However, it's the kind of to-do that's not a meritorious doing. (laughs) Faith is a receiving of something that's been accomplished by God through Christ, applied by the Holy Spirit outside of us, and then received by faith. So faith hears the story of Jesus, hears about his life, his death, and that we can rest and trust in him by faith, and faith receives him, embraces him, treasures him, embraces him. David Mathis is my guest. We're enjoying this little series called New Friend, Same Seven Questions, and I'm delighted to uh, have David here in studio. And David, let's just back up a little bit, uh, stay on this theme, and when it, uh, what is the point a person is saved and how, and what does someone have to do to be saved? Talk about the being born from above. You know, Jesus says you must be born again. That right. happens 
that's from heaven. That's something that happens from above, right? That's right. You know, it, it's very easy for us to think in either-or terms in place where the Bible has both ands. This, this is a mm. very helpful category for not just theologians, for Christians in general. Very often we'll see one thing true in the Bible— And in our limited human minds, we think, well, if that's true, then this other seemingly opposing thing must be false. But it may not necessarily be the case. You've got to follow Scripture's lead. So some people might think, well, if I'm saved through believing, that's something I do. I believe. I experience faith. I trust. And so then it's not something that God's doing for me. However, in John chapter 3, the meaningful interaction Jesus has with Nicodemus, he says, Nicodemus, you must be born from above. You must be born again. And from above, if it's coming from above, who's doing the acting? I would say God. (laughs) That sure sounds like a way of heaven doing the acting. yes. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't believe. It just answers the question as to where did that belief come from? Mm -hmm. And I find that if you talk to Christians about this— They'll tend to get to the right answer eventually. When you ask them, well, why did you believe? Like, well, my grandma told me about the gospel. And then why did that happen? Why did that happen? Why did it happen? Eventually, you get to the point of, well, I guess God, and there's some verb there with God about God doing something. God initiated mm-hmm. something. And, and we Christians and theologians may parse through what that means, how his action then led to our belief. And, but in particular, that, that God takes that step for sinners born on Adam's side of the tracks, our hearts are not in the condition that we can just up and do it on our own. We need a change of heart. And God does that by his spirit and enables us to believe. So he is both at work and gets the glory of taking the initiative and being at work, you know, being born from above, and we are involved. We get the dignity of experiencing the application of that salvation in us through that expression of faith of that new born-again heart. Fantastic. All right, David Mathis is my guest, and I'm so enjoying this little series called New Friends, Same Seven Questions. And we're going to take a little break, and David has got a brand new book coming out, which we'll talk about at some other time, maybe not today, but it's called The Call of Christ on Christian Leaders, Workers for the Joy. David Mathis, you can learn more about him as well at DesiringGod.org. He spells his last name M-A-T-H-I-S. We'll be right back. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting MyFaithRadio.com. Thank you for joining me today. David Mathis is my guest, and he's right here in studio and we are uh, talking about uh, the new friends, same seven question series. And David, I want to go back to um, uh, the last question that we were talking about, and that is uh, the point of a person is saved and how, and what does someone have to do to be saved? I think there's more to mind there. So one more thing I want to add okay. on saved. That, that, that can be broad language. In the Bible, sometimes if we want to be more particular, we'll talk in terms of justification of having full righteousness, being fully accepted by God in faith by by uh, faith alone in Christ. 
But the saved language can be a little more flexible. Okay. So not only is there a sense in which there's a decisive choice made by God the Father before the foundation of the world, decisive work by Jesus at the cross 2,000 years ago, the working of the Holy Spirit in us through our own involvement in faith, but then there is a kind of final salvation that is coming. So even those right now who would say, I'm in Christ by faith alone. I love him. I trust him. I'm a Christian. I love Jesus. There's still a final salvation coming because Jesus will come back. He will judge the world. There will be a final judgment, and he will save us in that judgment as well. It will be declared for the universe. He is mine. She is mine. And at that moment, he will call into his service various evidences from our life. So in the Christian life, there is more to do than just belief. Mm-hmm. For justification, it's faith alone. Right. But in the whole of the Christian life, Jesus left us all sorts of commandments. Teach them to observe all I have commanded, he said in the Great Commission. Many things to do in the Christian life. And those things will be called in at the final judgment, not as the ground of our salvation, but as the evidence that this one was with Jesus. He was saved by faith in Jesus and supplied with strength by the Holy Spirit. Mm. Interesting addendum. (laughs) I like that. All right, uh, let's move on. What is the fate of the saved? And what are we saved to? Because, you know, people say, are you saved? And, you know, for a person who is outside of the family of God, they're thinking, saved what? What am I saved to? Such a good question. Because, I mean, if we don't get there... People can just think, well, I, I like golf. I, <laughs> I don't want to be in hell if there's no golf there, mm-hmm. so I'd like to be saved to, to golf. Mm-hmm. Or I'd like to be saved to watching endless episodes of Netflix or all sorts of things. So that, that saved to question is so important. I agree. So the fate of the saved is this, eternal, ever-increasing nearness to and knowledge of and enjoyment of God himself in Christ. And that is going to be enriched by the full company of the redeemed and sweetened in the new heavens and new earth. So there's a context of others also saved in a new heavens and new earth provided. But at the very center of that is God himself. So those who die, get this straight here, it's very important, often mixed up in our thinking in the church. Those who die before Christ's second coming, they know and enjoy Christ in heaven until he returns only in their soul. They don't have their body yet rejoined. The body goes in the ground. Their soul goes to heaven. They are with Jesus, know him, enjoy him there in, G- in, in heaven. But then when he comes back someday, he's going to bring a new heavens and new earth with him. Revelation chapter 21 says, this is the apostle John, I saw a new heavens and new earth for the first one had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So the new earth on which we will live in the end, Mm -hmm. once Christ comes again, with resurrected, glorified bodies, like Jesus's, will come out of the heavens, so to speak, (laughs) out of of the sky, and and become a new heavens and new earth. So one more texture for you. Philippians 3, 20 to 21, Paul says, Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior— who's coming the second time, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. So Jesus rose again to a human glorified body. 
and he sits at God's right hand in a glorified human body. And he will come again and restore our dead bodies (laughs) to our souls, and we will enjoy him and celebrate him, saved to enjoyment of him forever. David Mathis, that sounds like really good news to me. Amen. It is the best news in all the world. It is the best news I've heard all day. (laughs) Amen. And that goes for every day of my life. There you go. Best news you'll ever hear. Period. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So what you just described is phenomenal. It's beyond my imagination. Can I have assurance about it? You may. And there are various ways that we have assurance. In one sense, assurance is communicated to our soul immediately by the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. There's a kind of confirmation in our believing. Uh, There is also confirming things that can be done in our lives. So as the Holy Spirit works on us, as we grow and are changed, we may say, oh, I can see this evidence in my life. I'm, I'm, I'm different now than I was. Even though I fail and I sin and I'm not who I want myself to be ideally, I can see evidence of God's work in me. But at, at the end of the day, there's no going around Jesus for this. Like assurance is what do you do with him? He's the one who achieved our salvation. He's the one in whom we trust for our Christian faith. And so I wouldn't want to point anyone to a place to rest long for assurance other than in Christ himself. I want to ask, what do you do with Jesus? What do you think of him? Do you love him? Do you want to be with him? Do you treasure him? Do you admire him? Or are you embarrassed by Mm, him? Interesting. Really good. Thank you for that answer. Let's move on. David Mathis, um, has God given us all we need for life and godliness as believers? Yes. This does not mean that various natural means of God's goodness in this world don't assist our souls in various ways, in their health, in their strength, like a beautiful sunrise, going outside to fresh air, uh, what a good sweat might do for the human brain to pump Mm -hmm. your blood and get you feeling better. There's there's many natural means. Holding a loved one's hand, a good hug, listening to music, (laughs) so many good natural means that can help us. But Jesus' particular means of grace for us are in Scripture, in prayer, and in the church, in the body of the redeemed. And those are sufficient means for living to his glory and growing in our likeness of Jesus. So when, when we say there, need for life, um, that doesn't mean that you will always have a roof over your head in this life. That doesn't mean that you will always have food on the table. I was reading this morning in the, in the book of Joel where they've had locusts come and they have no grain and oil and wine. And God didn't provide that for them in that moment. Uh, but what is provided for in the Christian life, the life we're talking about is the life that will bring glory to Jesus Christ. He will provide in his word, by his spirit, through his people, if there is no food on the table for you. He will provide the way to do that to the glory of his son and to be sufficiently changed into likeness of his son to fulfill the calling you've been given in him. Mm, great answer. I really like that. All right, David Mathis, uh, we're getting here towards the end. Um, if we submit to him and die to ourself, will we have an abundant life? I love this question. Um, <laughs> for take two your reasons. time answering it. Okay, two reasons. Right. I want to talk about death to self. What role does that play in the Christian life? And then abundant life. What, what is abundant life? What do we mean by that? So, so two clarifications then. The first one. 
submitting to him and dying to self in the Christian life is not joyless, but we do it for the sake of joy. And this is all bound up. What we talked about earlier about being born from above or God's work in us to give a a new heart, to give a new birth, that there are new desires in the Christian. So we learn then to die to the little pleasures of life, to the shallow, carnal joys of life, and we replace them with real, thick, deep, durable joys in Christ himself. So here's, here's a key text, Mark 8 very famous on dying to self. Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. And whoever would lose his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? So Jesus' appeal there is, if you want to gain Lose the little stuff first to mm. gain the most important thing. If, if you want to be saved in the end, lose the little things here, the temporal things here to gain, to, sa- to be saved in the end. So self-denial is not an end in the Christian life. Self-denial is a means to the joy and gain that really matter and satisfies your soul for all eternity. So there's the death to self part of the Christian life. Now, what about the abundant joy? Will we have abundant joy. Do we not have abundant joy in this life? And I, this probably comes from John 10, 10. Is that right? There's yeah. the, the famous statement from Jesus, yeah. mm-hmm. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And uh, uh, important distinction to make here. Compare abundant life with life outside of Christ, and then compare abundant life in this life with the abundant life that is to come. So the Christian life in this age is more abundant in the ways that matter or will be shown to matter than the life of unbelief. You may think of all sorts of unbelieving things that might be good for a day or feel good for a week or a short period of time, but the abundant life that is in Christ with all its sufferings, with the indwelling sin of our own lives, will prove in the end, in eternity, to be better than that. Mm -hmm. However, let's not pretend that the life we live now is as abundant as it will be (laughs) when our indwelling sin is gone and when suffering is gone and all tears are banished. So a time is coming when we will have the abundant life of all eternity without sin, without threat, uh, without suffering in a coming new heaven to new earth where Jesus Christ is at the center as the one to whom we are saved and whom we together with the company of the redeemed enjoy forever. Mm -hmm. David, is it? It's hard for some people to play the long game, though. It is. And just the way you described, Mm -hmm. because we've got today to get through, right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Really great. So uh, we only have less than a minute. What have you uh, got up at desiringgod.org we can go look for? Oh, my. Well, I haven't even thought about that. Uh-huh. Um, I think I've got an Advent article coming. Cool. It's December, right? It is December. That, that'll be on the yeah. way. And then we have, a, we have a teaching team there at Desiring God of, of six of us, and we are regularly uh, posting daily articles, and we have many guests who join us. Yeah. So check us out there at yeah. DesiringGod.org. I'm just a fan of DesiringGod.org. So thanks for being here. Thank you, and Have a wonderful December with your family. All right, we'll take a break. Uh, Pastor Mike Novotny is going to join the program when we return. He's written a book called When Life Hurts, How to See Through Suffering. We'll be right back with Pastor Mike Novotny. 
Why does God let me suffer? Why does God let me suffer? I bet you've had that question running through your head more than once. My guest is uh, Mike Novotny, and we're going to talk about that. He's written a brand new book called When Life Hurts, How to See Through Suffering. And uh, always glad to have Mike on the show. Uh, He's served uh, in full-time ministry since 2007 as a pastor in Madison and now Appleton, Wisconsin. He also serves as host and speaker. I think we just lost him. Uh, Mike, you there? I am. Oh, awesome. Sounded like you went away there for a minute. <laughs> so <laughs> that was me panicking. <laughs> As a professional radio host, I was panicking. <laughs> but anyway, you've got um, also the Time of Grace television program, and you have uh, got a busy life. So I appreciate you taking the time to be on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me back, and, Bill. And you probably floss daily, don't you? I used to, but we ran out of floss. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, put that on your list of things to buy. So let's talk about suffering. Why Why does God let me suffer? Oh, that's the huge question that everyone asks. Yeah. And that few people can answer. And it is actually the question that takes up the bulk of the Old Testament book that we call Job. Um, you know, we can get through hard things if we have a good reason. You know, if we know there's a greater cause, we might go to the gym and it's painful, but we know we're getting stronger or a woman might go through the pains of labor because she knows that a child is on the other end. Mm-hmm. But, but when you go through something difficult in life and there is no obvious answer why it's happening or what good is coming out of it, those are some of the toughest times to suffer that really shake our faith. And so in this book, I, I try to explore that question. Like why, when we go through a divorce or infertility or cancer or chronic illness or you know, our spouse um, says they don't love us anymore mm-hmm. or you're abused as a child— we just ache for answers from God. And so the book of Job kind of gives us some direction of where to find solid, predictable, and good enough answers that keep us going in our faith. Yeah, Mike, you said in your book that Job was the the, the, the goat. He was the greatest of all time when it came to suffering. <laughs> Clearly, that has got to be the truth. Yeah. And what's so fascinating is the book of Job starts with the fact that he was actually the godliest man of ancient times. So... He wasn't suffering because he was bad, even though that's what his friends accused him of for many chapters in the book. It wasn't because God was disciplining him because he was foolish or sinful or needed to be warned. So it makes us actually expand our theology of suffering and hardship. It's easy to think, well, I'm hungover because I drank too much. Or, well, it's a bad day of marriage because I was selfish and didn't serve my spouse. No, for Job, that wasn't the reason why he suffered and it really makes us think of the reasons that we're suffering, too. It might not as be as clean-cut and as simple as we think. Mm-hmm. I just got a comment uh, from Mike who said, um, not you, Mike, another Mike, uh, why did my wrestling coach make me suffer at practice so I was strong enough to compete? Mm, yeah. That's the wisdom of my listeners. Yeah. They, I, you know, people with Mike, they just say, they say the right things. <laughs> <laughs> you think Mike's are on a streak today? <laughs> If my if my wife is listening, there might be a flurry of comments. <laughs> yeah. Now, would your would your wife be as unsupportive as Job's wife was? Why don't you, why don't you just curse curse God and die? Just get it over yeah. with. Yeah. What I love about the Book of Job is how candid and honest it is. Um, 
you know, it's, it's, I've heard professional comedians kind of poke at why did, why did God take away Job's kids, but not his wife? Um, <laughs> yeah. Kind of tongue in cheek there. But, you know, Job's, think of that. If, if you were a mother who had 10 children and not just one of them passed away, but you went to 10 funerals, um, I, I think there's a, a gritty reality that even Job, who is so godly for 35 chapters, has questions and even accusations about God. So it struck me that the book of Job chapter length is longer than any single gospel in the New Testament. And I wonder if that's because when we're really hurting in a deep and profound and personal way, it is a long journey. You know, it's a marathon where we're faithful and then we're not. And then we trust God and I know he has a plan for me. And then why, why are you doing this, God? What could possibly be good enough for this level of hurt? So one of the things I appreciate about the Bible is just how honest it is. It doesn't slap a sticker and, hey, rejoice, God has a good plan for you. But it actually brings you front and center with people like Job and his wife who were hurting so badly, their faith was truly shaken. Mm-hmm. Pastor Mike Novotny is my guest. Um, Mike, when, when we live every day with unknowns, we get up every day thinking, well, I've got a, a busy day ahead of me and things to do and a job to go to. But then there's those unknowns that take place and you get blindsided by stuff. So. Yeah when you find that suffering has come on you like a tsunami, then what? Yeah, I think uh, the big phrase I take away from the book, because if you actually have the the courage and the time to read all 42 chapters, when God finally shows up, he never explains to Job why he suffered. Mm -hmm. Um, You would think, you know, here was my plan, or you couldn't see this, but I was going to work out this good you know, kind of the wrestling coach saying it hurts now, but you're going to win the match and the championship when you're, you know, can persevere and, and, and struggle and suffer, but he doesn't. And so to me, the, the big phrase that I take away from the book of Job is you don't know why, and you won't know why, but you do know who. Mm-hmm. So no, th- there's no page in the Bible that explains why you had that miscarriage no, you can bang your head against the wall demanding an answer why you went through that as a kid. And many people do choose the route of bitterness and questions that you deserve an answer. Um, but when God actually shows up, he doesn't explain why. He just reveals his bigness, his glory, and his love for Job. Mm-hmm. And, and so to me, I, I would encourage anyone who's suffering deeply right now, as much as you want to and as natural and as understandable as it is, stop asking why and start asking the question, who who is God? If this is the God who loved me at my worst, if this is the God who went through his own pain on the cross so that I could be saved, if this is the God who's my heavenly father and wants me to cast all my anxiety on him, I, the devil wants me to demand a why, so I start to question the who. Interesting. I like God that. God is saying, take all of your whys to what you do know for sure. I'm a God of love who gave my only son for you. I must be good. I must be for you. And don't let this pain question those simple answers that you used to believe when you were clinging to the cross. Mm-hmm. Mike, when you're in the middle of suffering, though, and you're hurting, it's hard to see your way forward. Yes. Oh, I did an interview yesterday, and it really struck me that this book might be helpful for people who are in pain, but the right answers are going to be so hard to believe in the moment that I've actually come to believe if you're not suffering and life is good, you need to read this as fast as you can. Like mm. you... You need to get a good theology of suffering because good theology, it'll be really hard to believe once that moment comes. 
So it's going to happen sooner or later. God's maybe giving right now. He's going to take away sometime in the future. Prepare yourself for that moment by, you know, you read my book or don't, but read the book of Job and understand what God is saying to you through it. You do other interviews than my show? I I just feel like I'm learning this for the first time. This is this is troubling to me. You know, you're uh, no. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm really a lot for words, Bill Arnold, but you, but you have done it. All right, let's let's go back. Let's go back to suffering because we all know that when when we're suffering, our vision is going to get cloudy, and we are going to start hearing things, and we're going to start assuming things that uh, are not are not yeah. from God, right? Yes, so absolutely. So how do we put up a defense, a protective wall around us so we can keep those thoughts out and try to get our, our thinking clear? Yeah. Because isolation, I, I really, right? Isolation it, is one of the things that happens when you, when you start to feel like you are alone and suffering and you start to get yeah. Uh, isolated. Yeah, th- there's no simple roadmap. I mean, if you've ever been through pain or loved someone who's gone through deep loss, I, I think just accepting the fact that it's going to be messy, um, just like forgiving someone who hurts you, this isn't going to be, you know, I make the once and for all decision to trust God and believe that he's good. Nope. No, no, no. You're going to have to wake up and make a decision every day and every moment. Is God good or not? Um, and you might have a really good day today, and tomorrow you might just be triggered by your loneliness and loss, and it's mm-hmm. a rough day. Okay, okay, that happens. It's part of the process of pain. But tomorrow's a new day. God's mercy is going to be there for you. Run back to the cross and his word and reestablish your conviction that the God that you worship is a good, merciful, um, and wonderful God. Mm-hmm. Mike Novotny is my guest. Mike, when you are trying to navigate the heartache in your life and you've got suffering and it doesn't seem to let up, and what do you do when, when you, you think, I, I can't control this and I can't make sense of it? Yeah. And that part's driving me nuts. Yeah. I would try to find someone who's been through what you've been through, but is about five to 10 years down the road. Um, You're in the fog. So let's say you're struggling with, um, you've been abused or you've been through some great family loss. You're a widow for the first time. It just doesn't make sense to you. I would, I would reach out to someone, you know, who's a widow who has kind of gotten out of the fog of those initial years of pain. And maybe they've started to see the goodness of God again. And, can speak with tons of empathy and compassion and remind you, hey, God really did mean this when he said he was going to work out all things for the good of his people. <laughs> to be honest, I, I didn't believe that on day one. I didn't believe that on day 100. <laughs> but now, now on day 1000, I realized my, my faith was not foolish. He really did. And I, I wouldn't blame you if you doubted it and questioned it and thought I was making things up, but it is true. And I'm living, breathing proof. Hmm. I'd love for you to say more about that. Yeah. Um, how about this story? Um, if you ask me, like, why do I write Christian books or why am I a pastor? I would go back to the late 90s when I was reading the Bible and something in the Gospels inspired me to ministry. And if you ask me why in the late 90s was I going to church, I would tell you, because my mom brought me. <laughs> you know, she was a, the church-going Christian mom who invited me and slash dragged me and said, <laughs> get out of bed, we're, we're going to church. Mm-hmm. But if you asked why was my mom a church-going woman, I would take you back to 1981 when my little brother died at six weeks old. And my mom, who had believed in the goodness of God, went through the, the greatest loss of her life. 
And in that moment, I'm so profoundly grateful. My mom would tell you she does not have great faith, but I think she does. Because when she had lost one of the most precious things to her, instead of running from God or running from the Bible or running from church, she ran right to it Mm. and right to him. And even though I was only one year old at the time, I don't remember any of this. I was raised as a kid who got to hear the gospel and learn about the goodness of God because my mom proved that she wasn't just doing this church thing because it was convenient or easy. God was not a vending machine to her who was only worthy to be worshipped if he spit out an easy, comfortable life. So I might say to someone, you know, you, you might be like my mom in 1981, and you might have zero clue that 15 years from now, God's going to do some great thing through the pain. You could never see it. Um, but man, God does not lie. And when he says that all things are underneath the feet of Jesus and are being used and ruled for the good of the church, he means it. He, he can't be dishonest about that. So, you know, listen to stories of like that of people who have suffered profoundly and yet God brought good out of it and take heart because your story will be the same. Yeah, that's an amazing story. And I, I have to say your mom uh, was remarkably strong because, I mean, you're one years old and there's got to be unimaginable grief in her life. And yet she's got to get up every day and raise young Mike. Yeah. I don't know if there were other siblings at the time, but uh, those were strong developmental years for you. And and she was probably deeply sad and yet was showing up in a profound way every day. Yeah. That actually strikes me as a pastor. Now I see this in a whole new way. You know, if someone's listening right now and they went to church last Sunday, even though it was a bad week, there's something really pure and genuine about that. Like, if you can lift up your hands and praise the name of Jesus, even though you don't have the perfect home life, that's actually proof that you really do love Jesus and you're not just using him because he's using his power to snap his fingers and give you what you want. Mm-hmm. So when people stumble in the church with chronic pain or as widows or widowers or people who struggle with fertility or finances or whatever it is, First um, Peter chapter 1 says that's like the proven genuineness of your faith. It's what the devil accused Job of. Oh, he just loves you, God, because life is easy, and you blessed him with all this stuff. And no, when we worship God in the pain and the storm, it is saying something to the world that Jesus is actually worthy, no matter what kind of life he gives us. So I've come to appreciate the people who are struggling but still show up. There's something beautiful and pure about that expression of faith. Mm -hmm. Pastor Mike Novotny is my guest. His book is called When Life Hurts, How to See Through Suffering. If you have a question or you've got uh, something you'd like to ask Mike, the text line is open, 877-933-2484. We'll be right back. We would love for you to share your story about why you love Faith Radio and what has Faith Radio changed the way you think about something or even how you live. We want to hear from you. Your story can encourage others and glorify God. Share what you love about Faith Radio by calling 877-933-2484 and leaving a message today. Why does God let me suffer? That's a question that was asked by Pastor Mike Novotny 
He's written a book called When Life Hurts, How to See Through Suffering. And I know, Mike, that there are a lot of people listening today that have suffering on their plate. They can't make sense of it. They can't control it. And it's all consuming. How do you put this in a in a compartment? How do you live with it and walk it out when it's it's the loudest voice in your head? Yeah. So the book of Job, it's 42 chapters long. Um, the setup is kind of chapters one and two. And then for the next 35 chapters, Job and his friends argue about why this pain is happening. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 35 chapters. It's mm-hmm. the longest record. I, I picture like the comment section on Facebook where they're, they're, every two seconds there, the bubbles show up and they're commenting back and forth. But then in Job, uh, I think it's 38 or 39, God shows up. And what is so fascinating to me is that God, I counted in my Bible, God asks Job 77 straight questions. Wow. Yeah, 77 separate times. He goes round one until Job is like wide-eyed and failing, and then God doubles down and says, get ready, here comes round two. And what's so interesting to me is that God's point to Job at the end is, I am God and you aren't. Um, The way I run the universe is so far beyond your understanding. You don't know how the rain works. You don't know which way the wind blows. You don't know why ostriches are the way that they are. Like mm-hmm. God, God goes on this whirlwind tour of creation as a way of saying, listen, your point of view of the universe is so limited. And so you don't even know how many hairs are on your own head mm-hmm. or how many breaths you yourself took today. But I know that. And wow. in fact, no sparrow falls to the ground without my knowledge. And, and that's actually enough for Job. He repents. He says, I, I despise myself for questioning God. He's so much bigger than me. He's so full of love. So I would encourage a person to do that. Um, when I was a young pastor, I think she was 17, uh, a young woman from our church had brain cancer since she was nine and passed away. And I got to speak at her funeral. I've, I, I literally walked into the living room just after she passed. And, you know, I've seen this girl with her eyes closed and her head in her mother's lap. You know, what, what do you say to a family who's lost their baby girl? And I remember in, in that moment at that sermon, I, I talked about a straw, that the way we look at life is like closing one eye and, and peeking through a little straw with the other. And you can only see this tiny little spot instead of this big panoramic 360 view. Mm-hmm. And I had to be honest with people saying, you know, we're, we're just zoomed in on the death of this girl. And it seems so wrong and backwards and inexplicable but we just have to accept that our God is a God who sees everything. He knows the people who are going to come to our funeral service and hear about the hope through a risen Savior. He knows how this pain will shape every family member, pastor, and member of this church. God, we can never, ever comprehend what God will do through this one moment. So, no, we don't know why. But just like Job, we have to admit, I know so little about the universe and the one who does is the one who has proven his goodness to me through his son, Jesus. Mm-hmm. So coming back, I don't know why, but I do know who. Yeah. Mike, when it comes to bad things happening, I don't really want to dwell on this, but it seems that they happen in clusters. I've always heard that things happen in groups of three. And mm-hmm. for Job, it happened in way more than groups of three, although he lost you know, his uh, livestock and his home and his kids and all that. So uh, what, what about when your experience comes in clusters. Yeah. Oh, that's just the worst, isn't it? Oh, it's the worst. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and to be honest, when you are faced with a cluster of bad news, 
you do see things myopically, you, you, you have a hard time some, seeing the big picture. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah, Job, in the beginning of the book, he's so great. You know, he says things like, God gives and God takes away. May the name of the Lord be praised. And his wife breaks down and says, curse God and die. And he says, no, that, that's foolish talk. Should we not accept bad from God as well as good? But it's when, it's when the pain lasts for a little bit longer that Job starts to waver. So, yeah, isn't that so true with us, too? It's like one thing happens and we're good. Two things happen, we're holding on. And then it just doesn't go away. And that's when pain kind of breaks us. Um, maybe what's such a comfort to me is that Job's name appears later in the Old Testament. And it's not on a list of the wishiest, washiest people from the Old Testament. It's actually in a very short list of the most faithful believers there are. Mm-hmm. So God is kind of rebuking his Old Testament people. And he's talking about really righteous examples. And he brings up Noah and he brings up Daniel. And number three, he brings up Job. And so that, that is such a great comfort to me that even though you and I are going to be back and forth, good and bad, trusting and not, that, that God isn't looking at us through the bare facts of how strong our faith is. He's looking at us through the lens of Jesus and his forgiveness. So in the midst of all that mess and all the good and all the bad, I just love the comfort that we have that we're righteous as a gift from God that comes through Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Pastor Mike Novotny is my guest. He's written a book called When Life Hurts, How to See Through Suffering. So, Mike, as you write this book, what were some of your aha moments, some of your personal aha moments? Oh, yeah. The the little phrase jumped out of me, to give God the right. So if I can list the top 10 things I love about life, might be my job, might be my wife, might be my kids, might be my friends. If I can give God the right and say, like, before anything happens, God, you, ha- you gave these things to me, and you have the right to take them away. I'm, I'm going to enjoy them for as long as they last, mm. but I realize these things aren't eternal. Job's, the strength of his faith in the beginning of the book is where he says, hey, naked I came from this womb, and naked I will return. So <laughs> I didn't come into the world with a thousand uh, head of livestock. I didn't come out of my mother's womb holding on to my 10 children. <laughs> you know, poor woman. Mm-hmm. No, th- all of this stuff, were, these were gifts that God gave to me in my life. And if God gave them to me, he has the right to take them back. And so that was a big aha moment. Not to say that it's ever easier, it comes without grief. But if I start to think these are my things and I earned them and I deserve them, and God is only good if he gives them to me. Ooh, man. I'm setting myself, I'm actually using God in the first place, and I'm setting myself up for my faith to be shaken in a profound way. But if I can prepare myself for suffering and say, God, you are gracious to give it, and you are just if you take it, I really set myself up to have a long-term great relationship with Jesus. Mm -hmm. So if you get to a point where you say, God, whatever you allow in my life, I will accept it whether I like it or not. That's probably probably an okay place to be, isn't it? Yeah. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 4, I believe, says, we fix our eyes not on things that are seen, but on the things that are unseen. Because the things that are seen are temporary, but the things that we can't see are eternal. So he admitted Mm -hmm. in verse 16 of that chapter, hey, even though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. And then he revealed his secrets. You know, Mm -hmm. your body is wasting away and you're suffering. How do you, how, how does your soul find joy? And he says, if you fix your eyes on the unseen God, his unseen son, and the unseen gifts of forgiveness and salvation, you're going to have 
something that will last and it'll be a good rock for your feet to stand on. Mm -hmm. Mike, where is your personal suffering right now? Low, medium, high, where are you? Yeah, to be candid with you, I have yet to experience really deep heartbreak and heartache. Okay. Um, I'm I'm pre-Job 1. And I I think of that often. Like my life comparatively to people who've deeply suffered has been easy. Mm -hmm. And I I know that's not going to last forever. And so I'm trying to prepare myself with a good theology. I've been through hard times and frustrating situations, but not profound loss like we talked about today. And so I just want to prepare my heart with good theology. And uh, there's a great song by the band Rend Collective that's called Weep With Me. And I want to take out the lyrics of that song that say, what's true in the light is still true in the dark. Mm -hmm. So I'm walking in the light of God's favor right now. But if things get dark and difficult, what I believe before will still be true. And I want to hold on to that as best I can. Yeah, you want to know how to use the first aid kit before you cut your head open with the water ski, right? Ooh, there it is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Mike, thanks for spending time with me today. Always nice to have you on the show. Thanks for having me back, Bill. You bet. Pastor Mike Novotny's been my guest. When Life Hurts, How to See Through Suffering. And we've got a, um, you want to give hope for Christmas to someone. Maybe you can't change their journey, but you can encourage them in it. You can pray to see how you might be the hands and feet of Jesus this Christmas And let Faith Radio know of the need of someone that you know that might be blessed with a $500 Visa gift card. So you can give hope for Christmas at myfaithradio.com. We've had a number of stories come in, and they are riveting. So we know that there's people suffering and who are in need of some hope, and we would be happy to to, uh, hear the story, and we will... uh, we will be giving out a $500 Visa gift card. We'll take a break and be right back with Dr. Ed Glenny. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at myfaithradio.com.